Three years ago today, many of us woke up to the news of a, a fire in West London. A fire that was still burning as we watched the clips um, that morning. A fire that tragically took the lives of 72 people. The Grenfell Tower fire was a moment that will be etched onto the memory for so many Londoners, not least for those families and friends who have had to live with its consequences. What does it look like to respond in light of such grief and such pain of injustice? We're living right now through some of the most physically and economically turbulent and unstable times as we process COVID-19, as we grieve jobs, as we grieve freedom, family, our own sense of safety maybe at home. And the horrifying killing, the murder of George Floyd has again exposed and highlighted afresh the sheer scale of racial inequality and injustice that we have throughout society. For many of us, we, we've never been so aware of our own brokenness, of our own failures, of our own sin. The world is hurting, it's groaning and it's in pain. And we have to ask the question, what does it look like to respond in light of such grief and pain of injustice. And we'll each have to go on our own journey, I'm sure, to weep and to pray, to listen, uh, learn, to act, to examine ourselves. But I think there might be a, a beautiful, biblical, less travel journey that we're all invited to go on at the moment. And that's that I think we're being invited into lament. Lament for our world, lament for our city, lament for our, our neighbours, for our brothers and our sisters. And we're still in this teaching series that we put on pause for a couple of weeks called The Face of God. If only we could see God, see right into his face, maybe then we could know something of his character, something of his nature. Maybe then we could know how to respond when it feels like so much pain is being unearthed around and within us. And the gift of what we read in the Gospels is that we can see into the face of God because we can see right into the face of Jesus, what he did, who he hung out with, what he said. And we're going to base ourselves in a few verses today in the, the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible or a phone, turn with me to Luke 19. And just some context, we're getting to the climax of the, the gospel story. We've seen Jesus perform miracles, teach his disciples, the crowds around him, declaring to whoever will listen that the kingdom is coming. Scenes of incredible hope breaking out around him. And now is this triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem for the final act. He's walked for hours with his disciples on the uphill ascent from Jericho to the Mount of Olives. It's in the baking sun. And in what we celebrate as Palm Sunday, the crowds are putting their coats and their cloaks on the road as he walks over the crest of that mount on a donkey. And suddenly it's all piecing together for the disciples. This journey that they've been on, his constant declaration that the kingdom was near, being on this donkey that was foretold, this was the entry of the Messiah into the city. And they cannot help themselves. They launch into song together. They start singing, welcome, welcome, welcome with a blessing. Not an absolute banger, but Psalm 118 was all they had. The Pharisees are grumbling away in the corner, but Jesus is coming down into the city. And then this scene of joy, of euphoria, comes crashing into an alternative ending. Jesus, looking over the, the city of Jerusalem, just starts weeping. Tears of pain, 
tears of uh, lament. And we're going to pick the story up in Luke 19 from verse 41, where it says this. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Can you hear the anger? Can you see the tables flung upside down? Do you notice Jesus teaching in the temple of the days to come? But do you see before all of that the tears on a hillside overlooking Jerusalem alongside his best mates and the joyful crowds? Jesus weeps over the city. He starts with lament. Lament is one of the most um, beautiful gifts that we've been given, experiencing pain not as some kind of floating, undirected emotion, but brought into the presence of God, held in front of him as we feel the pain of now. Lament is what is found between hurt and hope. We know that we hurt, maybe now more than we've ever felt before, but we also know that we live in light of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection, defeating death, giving hope. Do not grieve like people who have no hope, as Paul writes. So we hurt, but we have hope. And the natural tendency is to make that space between hurt and hope as small as we possibly can make it. We dismiss the hurt because it's just too painful, or we jump to to blind hope. We're not even sure if we can justify the positivity that we find coming out of our mouths. And lament locates us right in the middle, sat between the hurt that we experience and the hope that we long for. Holding the two of them, not trying to pull them together too quickly and instead recognising the pain, yet also holding on to the promise of things to come. And that place of lament is found time and time again through scripture. God's people are are pretty honest, they're pretty punchy in what they bring to God. And the gift of lament is that God invites it. He invites the cries of his people. In the songbook of the people of Israel, the Psalms, nearly half of them are devoted to lament. Songs of deep pain and sorrow in what feels like a wilderness from God's presence. There's an entire book given over to lament, Lamentations, where Jeremiah, a prophet, writes this string of heartbreaking poems about the city of Jerusalem, destroyed Hundreds of years before Jesus was standing on the hillside, weeping over that same city, the rebuilt city of Jerusalem. It was pillaged by the Babylonians and Jeremiah pours his heart out for his city and he writes these love poems of raw pain. That same city, the city that in Hebrew means the city of peace, Jerusalem, is found not as a place of peace at all, but of pain for Jeremiah, for Jesus, perhaps even now. 
Sung Chang Ra, in his beautiful book on prophetic lament, writes this. He says, we avoid lament. The power of lament is minimized and the underlying narrative of suffering that requires lament is lost. But absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart forget. The absence of lament in the church results in the loss of memory. We forget the necessity of lamenting over suffering and pain. We forget the reality of suffering and pain. We've grown so accustomed to minimising and avoiding pain that I think we've lost this love language of lament. And some of that might be that for many of us, we, we just simply haven't experienced the hurt and the pain that Jeremiah and Jesus are experiencing and expressing as they weep over the city. But from that privilege, we have to work all the harder to learn just how powerful lament can be. And we have two cues, I think, for why we need to learn this way of lament. The first is that it's all the way through scripture. It's in the people of God. It's what they do. But the second is that the times in which we live require it of us. Romans 12 says that we need to rejoice with those who rejoice. Absolutely. That one's fun, right? That one we get shared joy. But we also have to mourn with those who mourn. Many in our city, in the world around us are mourning right now. And I think a prophetic act of compassion and love requires that we mourn alongside them. Not as people who have no hope, but as a people who are in touch with the hurt of this world, as well as a hope that is found in the person of Jesus. Now is the time to lament. And the prophet Isaiah speaks to this need and he, he says this, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of this earth. This, I think, is what it looks like for us to be the church right now, to be disciples of Jesus, to be watchmen, watchful of what is happening in the culture around us, and then to call on the Lord in prayer, in lament, in intercession, to give ourselves no rest but give God no rest until his glory is seen. And I want to come into land by just giving us a simple idea of what this could look like to lament today, tomorrow, this week, over your streets, over your neighbours. And I, I want to use a really simple model, just a few words to, to help us. And you'll be pleased to hear they all start with P, which I, for one, am extremely proud of. And the first is this, is to simply present yourself as you are. Psalm 10, which is a, a beautiful but heartbreaking poem, song of lament, starts with this. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In other words, God, where are you? Lament begins with an authentic assessment of how you step into the presence of God. How are you? What's going on in your heart right now? And then it leads us to the pain or the hurt itself. Before we can mourn with those who mourn, we have to acknowledge the pain that we experience, both in our own lives, but as well as the world around us. So Psalm 10 goes on and says this after the beginning. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. In other words, there's oppression, there's injustice. Feel the emotion in David, as he writes this, it starts with the hurt, refusing to, min to diminish the pain and yet bringing that pain into the presence of God, which leads us to presence. Before we move on from the pain, we sit with the pain in the presence of the spirit and ask that he would meet us. 
pain, I think divorced from the presence of God will, after a while, just be too much for us to handle. And if we don't take that pain to him, we'll find other places that we take that pain and then we get into a, a pickle. And I wish that our next one was pickle, um, but it's not because that would be a mistake. Having presented ourselves, sat with the pain, brought it into the presence of God, that's when we turn to prayer. Petition to be exact, if you're really searching for a P and, and I am. What is your request of God? Psalm 10 again says this in verse 12, Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. The cry is one of, of simply being seen. Lord, don't forget those that need you, that cannot do this on their own. And finally, for lack of a better word, we, we proceed. And what I mean by that is two things. We, we move from that place knowing that we have presented something to God in the presence of the Spirit, but also it means that we act. What, what does an embodied, enacted response look like in light of your lament? Because here's the misunderstanding about lament. It could so easily be misinterpreted as inaction. Taking a stand in prayer, sowing in tears, and yet not stepping out and being the hands and feet. But notice that lament always leads to action. Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem, but doesn't turn around and go back to Jericho, nor does he sit on the side of the Mount of Olives indefinitely as he laments over the city of peace. Instead, he walks down into the city to ultimately be arrested, to be beaten, to be killed, and ultimately to conquer death itself. Before Jesus carries out the greatest action there has ever been, he stands over a city and he laments. And my prayer for all of us is that as we navigate these months of physical, emotional, economic, financial uncertainty, that we would know that there is someone that we can be certain about, that God is faithful, that he is kind, and that he longs to hear the cries of his people as they lament on behalf of the surrounding culture. That we would give it no rest, either to ourselves, but we would give him no rest, as Isaiah writes with our laments to him. And instead of standing idle as the chasm grows between the hurt of the world and the hope found in Jesus, we're gonna stand between them and lament, pray, intercede as we present the hurt of the, the world to God. 